This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's going to be a little different today. We're going to talk to Dan Eberhard, uh, Canary CEO. He's an he's a oil field services company headquartered in Denver. Uh, and he's just going to tell us about the reality of oil and gas in America. But right now, something historic is taking place, maybe the most significant address to a joint session of Congress by another world leader since Winston Churchill, right after we got into World War II. And it's President Zelensky addressing a joint session, full attendance. Nancy Pelosi just introduced him. And now Zelensky is not only going to look to communicate that he is okay fighting through what Ghani did in, in Afghanistan, but he's also going to say, listen, I need these planes. I need a no-fly zone, and I need more. You want us to survive? We're doing well. There was, in fact, a counteroffensive last night in four separate cities by the Ukrainians themselves. The Russians, in many indications, are turning out to be a hollowed-out former superpower, thanks to the exposure that Zelensky's doing. So now he's just reading his introduction. I'm going to go in and out of this address. I know it's going to be good. I've seen him in Canada. I've seen him address the EU. I've watched the whole address to the the U.K. Here's a little of President Zelensky right now the Russian aggression. Those who give their best sons and daughters to stop this full-scale Russian invasion. Right now, the destiny of our country is being decided. The destiny of our people, whether Ukrainians will be free, whether they will be able to preserve their democracy, Russia has attacked not just us, not just our land, not just our cities. It went on a brutal offensive against our values, basic human values. It threw tanks and planes against our freedom, against our right to live freely in our own country, choosing our own future. Against our desire for happiness, against our national dreams, just like the same dreams you have, you Americans, just like anyone else in the United States. I remember your national memorial in Rushmore, the faces of your prominent presidents, those who laid the foundation of the United States of America as it is today, democracy, independence, freedom, and care for everyone, for every person, for everyone who works diligently, who lives honestly, who respects the law. We in Ukraine want the same for our people. All that is 
normal part of your own life. So we'll dip in and out of that. We're going to bring some of it back throughout the hour. But a couple of things what he does brilliantly. Number one, he doesn't say, this is me, this is me, this is me. He doesn't say, I'm not grateful. He says, I'm grateful. Number thing, number two, and I think it's 100% accurate, he says, this is not just about Ukraine. I mean, we're fighting for freedom because a country decides that they want us to be under their sphere of influence, have their leader that they handpicked, do not have free and fair elections, decide to be part of more West than East. That is where this generation of Ukrainians want to be. And this 67-year-old president, Vladimir Putin, and maybe others, I don't know, just say, I want to go back to 1917 or the 1700s. Ukraine should be part of ours. Plus, We need some protection. We need a buffer from the outside world. We need the Black Sea. We need the natural resources of coal and iron and oil. We want Ukraine. Oh, you mean we can't have Ukraine? You want your own elections? Poroshenko wins the election. They oust their other leader. I think it's their green revolution. And then uh, Poroshenko runs for election. They don't like him. They want to put in this actor who played the role of a former teacher on television uh, that becomes, through some weird tweet or social media posting, president. And then he tells his wife, you know what? Uh, this is a successful show. I think I'll be a successful president. I'm going to run. And he does. And then leading up to the war, he shows everybody, even though he wants to be friendly with Vladimir Putin, he shows everyone uh, that he's not weak. He just wants to be safe and secure. He asked for NATO membership. They say no. He asked for European Union. Say they'll consider it. And then when uh, Russia says you are picking your own leader. I'll take the Donbass region and Crimea. They never accept it. Fighting never really stops in the Donbass region. So so-called Russian separatists. And then Vladimir Putin miscalculates in 2022, seeing a weak America and a fractured NATO. He said, now's my time. And he goes in. And he thought he'd find a sympathetic audience. Instead, he found angry Ukrainians. Even though they speak Russian, they don't want to be Russian. Nobody wants to be Russian. Not the nationality, the form of government. And therefore, they're leaning west. They see our future. They see the unrest. They see the protests. But that's called people having free will. And that's what he's saying. This is not about me. If you let me die and fall, the next thing will go is Moldova. The next thing will go is those Baltic regions. You'll see a growing uh, burgeoning Russia, Iran, and China movement. You're seeing some Middle East powers like Saudi Arabia move towards a stronger horse in China. They believe because Joe Biden has kicked him to the curb and won for the Iranian deal. And Israelis, I don't know what they're doing, but they seem to be striding, uh, straddling both sides at this point. So he's saying, I need help. I need those MiGs that are sitting there uh, in Poland. I need those uh, more Stinger missiles, and I need a missile defense system, uh, an SE-3, whatever it is. Uh, they need it in uh, all their air bases and all their major cities. There yesterday, they had three major offensives in Maripol. They had a major offensive in Kharkiv and a major offensive over in Kyrgyzstan, right around that area, which is necessary to turn back into their hands to stop the move towards Odessa. Let's listen a little bit more as he asks Ukraine and the president, who's not there and wouldn't commit to say he's watching, but Congress is watching, Democrats are watching, they are working together with Republicans in many ways on this. Let's listen. Ladies and gentlemen, friends, Americans, in your great history, you have pages that would allow you to understand Ukrainians, understand us now, when you need it right 
now when we need you right now remember pearl harbor terrible morning of december 7 1941 when your sky was black from the planes attacking you just remember it. Remember September the 11th, a terrible day in 20, 2001, when evil tried to turn your cities, independent territories, in battlefields, when innocent people were attacked, attacked from air. Yes just like no one else expected it. You could not stop it. Our country experience the same every day. Right now, at this moment, every night, for three weeks now, various Ukrainian cities, Odessa and Kharkiv, Chernihiv and Sumy, Zhytomyr and Lviv, Mariupol and Dnipro, Russia has turned the Ukrainian sky into a source of death for thousands of people. So that was moments ago. We just brought that back. And this is what he's so brilliant at. And listen, he's in a bunker fighting for his life, getting uh, death reports, casualty uh, numbers, finding hearing uh, the explosion. Uh, we don't know exactly where he is in the city. I hope we never know. But they say the city is huge and it's got a very complex uh, series of tunnels. But, uh, you know, he's obviously in a you know, somewhat of a generic background with the flag on his right and a uh, green T-shirt uh, that he's wearing that he's, we're kind of familiar with at this point. But what he does is he grounded it. He says, listen, you, you guys probably never been to the Ukraine, right, 6,000 miles away? You probably hear some scandalous things, and you heard what happened with the you know, with the judge that uh, Vice President Biden at the time wanted to get fired, and you heard about Rudy Giuliani walking through our country um, and you know, the, saying that he wanted to get dirt up on Biden and ended up in Trump's impeachment as uh, wrong as that was and what a distraction it was. You heard about the fact that we lost that area and that we really weren't, they weren't heavily sanctioned by Barack Obama. You heard all that. But we fundamentally are just like you. We're a fledgling democracy who is not perfect. We're still not perfect. You weren't then. And just like the farmers in 1776, they were able to overcome the odds and beat this superpower at the time, the U.K., we're looking to do the same, and we're doing it. We're not asking you to fight all wars. We're asking you to supply weapons, finances, and we are. It looks like they're getting $13 billion from us right now coming in, what we've already given them. 600 Stinger missiles, 2,600 javelins, 200 grenade launchers, 200 shotguns, 200 machine guns, 70 high-mobility multipurpose wheel vehicles, uh, MI-17 helicopters, patrol boats, military medical equipment. But this is over the course since really 2014. Actually, I would say since 2017 when President Trump took over. Uh, but they were very slow to get in. A lot more could have been done. A lot more supplies could have been stored. Having said all that, you are where you are right now. Only one major city has been lost. It's Kyrgyzstan, and Kyrgyzstan right now is looking to be possibly taken back. Odessa has not been raided because the, they can't consolidate forces in Russia because they seem to be a former superpower. And that seems to be the story that's going to emerge from this. If the Ukraine can survive, if they can cut a deal that gets them, uh, it just has them lose the Donbass region and maybe Crimea, but holds on to the country, maybe makes them part of the EU, money pours in, and they become this thriving democracy, that will be a situation that uh, the Russians, and we might be able to do something with troops to make sure the Russians do not invade again, uh, to provide security to a country that does not want any part of, of Russia's, uh, Russia's uh, former government. Here's some more of President Zelensky. He's now has been speaking for 10 minutes. 
I have a dream. These words are known to each of you today. I can say, I have a need. I need to protect uh, our sky. I need your decision, your help, which means exactly the same, the same you feel when you hear the words, I have a dream. Obviously, uh, heavy into American history there. So listen, after he gave his address on Saturday to a select member of Congress, whoever wanted to show up could show up on a Zoom call. Uh, Senator Schumer walked out of that and said, let's get these, let's get this guy his MIGs. I think there's, uh, you know, 29 MIGs. And they were supposed to go from Poland. Poland, stupidly, I think, went to Ramstein Air Base. And Ramstein Air Base, they said, this looks like a NATO operation. What are you doing? So the U.S. says we're not going to do it. And instead of just sending them over or having Ukrainian pilots come and fly them back, they're worried about a provocation. Provocation. Two drones. One landed, uh, an armed drone landed in Romania. Another one landed in Poland. They just bombed six miles from Poland over the weekend. And we're about provoking them. We already give them stinger missiles, handheld uh, javelins. We're providing all this food and this aid and these guns. And I find it pretty unbelievable that we would thought that would be the that would be the line. So, uh, yeah, I'm just wondering, have, have we ended this address? Has this address ended? I'm not sure what's going on right now or if we're providing B-roll for this. Uh, but it seems to we seem to have I think he's showing some video over over the air. But you're seeing a lot of uh, heroic activity. You're also seeing this. The Russian bear has been defanged and defamed, and Russia looks like the former superpower and an empty smoking smoking hulk. It works to the world's benefit for Russia to be reined in and humiliated. He's doing it. He just wants the arms to make it happen. Uh, I've been schooled by a lot of people who know the military things and say it's really not a no-fly zone would not be worth it. We absolutely would be in a confrontation with Russia. I don't think they would. That would be the type of thing that would help as much. But I do think letting them fight, uh, use their own fighter jets from the 1980s, uh, having fighter jets from Poland does work. So you want to bring back a little bit more? All right. It's just music right now. Okay. That's interesting address. Just about 18 minutes. Uh, We're going to come back and find out more. Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... A real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Ukraine is grateful to the United States for its overwhelming support for everything that your government and your people have done for us, for weapons and ammunition, for training, for finances, for leadership in the free world, which helps us to pressure the aggressor economically. I'm grateful to President Biden for his personal involvement, for his sincere commitment to the defense of Ukraine and democracy all over the world. I am grateful to you for the resolution which recognizes all those who commit crimes against Ukraine, against the Ukrainian people as war criminals. 
And then right after that, he rolled in a video just shows well, with music underneath it, the, the images that we've saw, maybe not uh, quite edited as well as that, considering they were sitting in a bunker. They put together a video just showing the strife of so-called average everyday Ukrainians who are, are, are injured, wounded, dead, because Russia decides they want to be part, they should be part of Russia. Well, one man decides he wants to be part of Russia, sits around a 40-foot table, uh, berates three of his officers, and goes back into his bunker, and that is Vladimir Putin. Nobody wants Russian culture in Ukraine. Nobody wants the Russian government in Ukraine. I thought uh, President Zelensky, from what I could see, was brilliant. These remarks were written. The way he makes it we, the way he doesn't just talk about himself and Ukraine's plight, the way he makes it everyone. And what he's done, too, and I watched some of the Canadian address. He kept saying, Justin, can you imagine if they, they were bombing Alberta? How would you respond? What if they bombed your hometown? What would you do? And then here he's talking about everything from 1776 to 9-11 to Pearl Harbor. So this is the last week. So after he rolls the tape, he uh, speaks English. So we'll let you, let him and his words uh, bring you the rest of the way. Today, today it's not enough to be the leader of the nation. Today it takes to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Peace in your country doesn't depend anymore only on you and your people. It depends on those next to you and those who are strong. Strong doesn't mean big. Strong is brave and ready to fight for the life of his citizens and citizens of the world. For human rights, for freedom, for the right to live decently and to die when your time comes and not when it's wanted by someone else by your neighbor. Today, the Ukrainian people are defending not only Ukraine, we are fighting for the values of Europe and the world, sacrificing our lives in the name of the future. That's why today, the American people are helping not just Ukraine, but Europe and the world to keep the planet alive, to keep justice in history. Now I'm almost 45 years old. Today my age stopped when the hearts of more than 100 children stopped beating. I see no sense in life if it cannot stop the death. And this is my main mission as the leader of my people, great Ukrainians, and as the leader of my nation. I'm addressing the President Biden. You are the leader of the nation, of your great nation. I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Thank you. Slava Ukraine. Wow. Uh, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about oil and gas, the impact of this. But it was a great speech. It was a moving speech right on point. So relevant. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade show. That was President Zelensky uh, still fighting. He just wants some support. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. 
behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Of course, a long-term solution for this is energy independence and a shift to renewable energy uh, here in this country. Uh, but let's also remember that while oil prices and, and gas prices are famously something that is largely outside of the direct control of any political figure, there are a lot of things that we could be doing right now that would bring direct relief to the pocketbooks of American families uh, that are greater than most any family's gasoline bill. Uh, he wants to spend more, and he wants to, of course, the president of the United States goes to Venezuela. It looks like he cut a side deal with that evil regime, and he's trying to convince Saudi Arabia to take his call to pump more. That's how he wants to make up for it instead of asking Alaska, North Dakota, and Texas. Dan Eberhard uh, joins us now. He's an expert in this area, Canary CEO, uh, an oil field services company headquartered in Denver, uh, best-selling author of Switching Gears, the Petroleum-Powered Electric Cars, and the Switch America's uh, America's global energy renaissance. Uh, Dan, welcome. Uh, good, good morning, and thanks for having me. Dan, this, this conflict in Ukraine is really, the sub-story is all about oil and gas. And the frustration I feel, and I'm not in your business, that we won't just drill our own in a time of emergency. First off, why do, we, why do you think we choose to be at least a million barrels a day off from when Trump left office in 2021? Well, you know, the, the economy is good and the price is high. I, I think it's a result of policy. Look, the, the Biden administration has done nothing but throw our industry wet blankets. In what way? Well, it's uh, drilling moratorium on federal land, uh, chilling effect on, on equity and debt financing, uh, canceling the Keystone Pipeline, seven or eight others that people don't know about, and, and just generally uh, sitting on permits, making permit times longer they've, they've just not been helpful in in terms of wanting more production here you know even even two months ago three months ago biden was asking opec for more oil not texas north dakota alaska crazy to me how would you have responded how does texas respond did they did they contact the company specifically and say hey uh hey exxon hey shell uh can you do us a favor for the next three months is that the way it's usually done well, it, in, it, something like that would have happened in the Trump administration, but in the, in the Biden administration, he's just calling calling the Middle East, asking them to do more, which is crazy to me. You know, we, we can do it here with American jobs. Uh, it, it boggles the mind that, that Biden wouldn't wouldn't turn first to the U.S. And then now he's adding, you know, potentially Venezuela and Iran to the the help list. It's it's nuts. What about the fact that a lot of these major investment firms are not allowed to have oil and gas companies in their portfolios for their clients? Well, I, you know, I, I think that's tragic. Look, I think we're a part of the economy. Look, everybody wants cleaner water. Everybody wants cleaner air. Everybody wants to head towards carbon neutral. But we've also got to be honest about the transition and how we get there. And we're we're seeing right now these, these Green New Deal policies, a collision with, you know, energy costs for consumers and what consumers are willing and can pay. And, and I think it's I, I think it's going to be a disaster for the Democrats at the midterms. Well, see, here's Joe Manchin, a Democrat. Cut 20. 
Let me tell you right now, we have to be united. We're called the United States, and the world's looking for leadership. We can't be pointing fingers and accusing. Uh, the bottom line is we can do more here. Uh, if you, I am not absolutely signed on any way, shape, or form for us to start buying, basically, or taking sanctions off of Venezuela or Iran. I think it'd be a horrible mistake for us to do that. Right. Uh, but we're asking them to pump more, and I think we're doing that tangentially uh, with these with these negotiations going on in Geneva. So uh, one Democrat gets it from a, uh, from an, uh, an energy state. Does it surprise you? Well, I, you know, I, I think he's a, 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 a bit of a different, different Democrat, but one that makes sense. But I, I think that anybody that just looks at this and, and puts a little bit of time into it would come to the same conclusion. You know, we're better off and we're better off economically doing it here. We're better off from a national security standpoint doing it here. And, you know, frankly, our environmental practices are much stronger here. Why why would we want to pull it from the Middle East where they have, you know, less stringent environmental requirements? So what did they actually do that you know of in North Dakota and Alaska? I've talked to governors in those states, and they said they were told to to, to slow it down, essentially. Well, you know, the, the first thing the first thing the Biden administration did to, to really cause problems was, was to cancel the Dakota Access Pipeline. This is a pipeline that would have moved oil from the North Dakota to the refineries in, in Oklahoma and, and Texas. That's that's something tangential they did. The drilling moratorium on federal lands has really made, uh, you know, oil companies have to, to find less good geology for the time being. Uh, that's something I think they could reverse. There's also, you know, six LNG export terminal applications that the administration, with FERC, the administration's been sitting on the entire administration. If if two of those six were done, we'd be in a lot better position to help Europe uh, with natural gas that they then wouldn't need from Russia. What's hold? What's the holdup? Uh, they they don't like the pol- they they don't like the policy. They don't want to be friendly to the energy industry, and they they'd rather see us uh, focus on the Green New Deal. I, I think this energy policy is a disaster. And this Ukraine crisis has been just the ticket to, for kind of the tide to go out in it to expose this. So you, you tweeted this out. Oil prices are decreasing. Uh, Biden tweeted this out. Oil prices are decreasing. Gas prices should, too. Last time oil was $96 a barrel. Gas was 362 Now it's uh, 431 Oil and gas companies shouldn't pad their profits at the expense of hardworking Americans. What's your take on that? Uh, well, look, I, I mean, this this price gouging stuff is absolutely ridiculous. For, first of all, you can't look at the price every single day. It, it's going to kind of move and, and ebb and flow. The price you pay at the pump is going to be maybe maybe a month behind the, the price per barrel. Uh, people should factor that in. But, look, this whole idea of price gouging is crazy. The price is set in a worldwide market. And the guys I know in the oil field, look, Canary, we're an oil field service company. We're the guys with the trucks that do stuff for the oil company. There's no price gouging going on. Look, we're just hardworking guys that show up every day. We move around iron. We move around pressure control equipment. And we get the job done. And, and when, we, when we finish, we take a shower. This, this idea of price gouging is, is just disrespectful to the hardworking people that I know in the field. Dan, I, it, it, again, it, boggles my mind. Well, they got to start fighting back. Uh, Dan Eberhardt, uh, he's with Canary. He's uh, CEO of Canary, an oil field services company. I want you to hear a couple of this is what you're up against. First off, Heidi Heidkamp, the former senator, said this about high gas prices. You always blame the party in power. 
Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the administration wasn't aggressive enough, in my opinion, in pushing back on the red herrings. Can I just say that is yeah. an artificially low price that you're starting from. And when you do inflation adjustment, this isn't the highest price we've had in the last 20 years. In fact, George Herb Walker Bush and under the George Bush administration, we had gas prices inflation adjusted over $5. But, it, but we're shocked because we got used to $2 gas. Yeah. And, also- and that's the problem. We got spoiled. Is that the problem? We got spoiled. I, I think I think she's cherry picking with her numbers. It, look, it, when I fill up my own truck, it feels pretty high to me. Uh, look, the 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 fact of the matter is, look look where it was during the Trump administration. Look where it is now. I think it's a direct result of policies, and it really has very the 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 Ukraine crisis is really just the the icing on the cake. The price at the pump has been headed higher for. Uh, you know, the entirety of, of the Biden administration. And, and it's a result of the policies. Uh, I want you to hear what you're up against, though. Here's AOC. I think one thing that often gets lost in these conversations is that some of us have to actually live the future that you all are setting on fire for us. By 2028, crop yields are, be, are already projected to begin to fail with famine beginning to hit the world's most vulnerable populations. By 2038, current U.S. drought, fire, and extreme heat trends make, will, could potentially make whole regions of the United States unlivable if we continue the trends that lobbyists are trying to, to pers- have us pursue. Wow. That was her back in October. Do you want to make the, most of the country uninhabitable? Is that your goal, Dan? Clearly, clearly not. I, I think that's hyperbolic. Look, we so? all we all have families. We all have families. We all want clean, cleaner water, cleaner air, and that's that's something everybody strives for. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. I would think so, Dan. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me. Enjoy your show. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Listen, we come back and open up the phones. We're going to play more of the Zelensky address. It was really compelling, as expected. But this guy is—he's a lesson in instinctful, instinctive PR. Think about this: he addresses the European Union once the war starts. He goes to the UK Parliament, never been done before, the way I understand it. Canadian Parliament on Monday, uh, the American Joint Session of Congress on Wednesday, and meanwhile, there's a mini offensive going on, according to reports in three separate cities on the Ukrainians. But he says, "I need more tools. I need better tools if you want me to take down the Russians." And if you're wondering what the Russians are doing, they're just leveling cities. One of the reasons, they have no heart. Vladimir Putin has no soul. And number two is they don't have any precision weapons. They thought that this was one way to intimidate Syria in their last operation. They said they were just haphazardly dropping dumb bombs. That's all they have, believe it or not. Their pilots are invisible. Why? Because they don't have much aircraft, and most of them don't have much practice, on average, 100 hours a year. That's why the invisible Russian Air Force is indeed invisible. Got to come back with your calls, one 408 7669 Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. We propose that the United States sanctions all politicians in the Russian Federation who remain in their offices and do not uh, uh, cut ties with those who are responsible for the aggression against Ukraine. From state Dumas members to the last official who has lack of morale to break the state terror. All Americans company must leave Russia from their market, leave their market immediately because it is flooded with our blood. All right. So he's saying everybody get out. It's not enough what you're doing. You know, I noticed a lot of sanctions by the president Zelensky through an interpreter. Uh, he just addressed the joint session of Congress about 20 minutes ago. Uh, the whole country watched, the whole world watched. I think I watched Canada, most of it. I watched uh, the U.K. address, uh, most of it. And, of course, I saw the EU. We covered it live on Fox and Friends. But President Zelensky saying, listen, massive sanctions. We need new weapons. You're at, I told you you're ready for the no-fly zone. But he's also, and I was read, read Dave Ignatius this morning, uh, they need better, more than just javelins, uh, more than just stingers, they need the S-300 system, and they also need these Turkish drones that are evidently awesome. The, um, uh, they, they just need more and different weapons. They have the people. They're not even asking for more people. The Russians are begging for more people. Evidently, there's 15,000 Syrians that have been asked to come over. I think they are. Belarusians only have, uh, I think, six units. They don't want to fight, period. Let's see if they actually have to get in there. And right now we're already sanctioning the the Belarusian uh, government because the government basically uh, just ignored an election and had uh, the muscle come in, Russia come in, and in turn for the Russian muscle, Belarus pretty much has to do exactly what Russia says, same as Kazakhstan. But Kazakhstan said we're not sending any troops, which I found somewhat amazing. So where are we at right now with this war? And I'm going to talk about more than the war. Where are we at right now? Uh, as I mentioned, Maripol, they, they were able to get uh, dozens of cars out yesterday, which is good news, but they're unable to get supplies in, which is bad news. Uh, they're able to push out of a southern city, uh, uh, Mikhailovic. Uh, they're able to push back there and try to get on the northeast end because the uh, Ukrainians are on the march. General Jack Keane, on what he's seeing right now in terms of a deal and what, this deal, what Ukraine will look like at the end of this conflict, Cuts, cut six. Putin is not going to tolerate NATO forces under any dimension coming into Ukraine. That would lead to a war. Putin is determined to collapse this country. He's not even going to tolerate a humanitarian relief for Mariupol, as well-intentioned as it is, even if it was driven by the U.N. The simple reason is Putin's army is struggling to defeat the Ukraine military. But where Putin is succeeding is he's attempting to defeat the Ukrainian people by slaughtering them and slaughtering them in those cities. And he is not going to let relief take place of what, for him, and this is something we have to accept, as horrible as it is, slaughtering those people is indeed a military objective for him. 
He does not care. Can you imagine a time in this day and age not named Saddam Hussein or Muammar Gaddafi or uh, Osama bin Laden, someone who is in modern society like Russia is, who says that's our strategy of war? Or are we just wrong to have precision weapons and only try to kill combatants and apologize when we kill somebody that we shouldn't or put a Koran too close to uh, a garbage pail then or the for face the wrong way or open to the wrong page, it becomes an international scandal. The Russians are shooting at hospitals, schools, and apartment buildings. Now this. As you know, our, our uh, TV crew got hit in Kiev. Kiev is being slammed on a regular basis. It's, it's basically estimated that Russians about 10 miles away. They don't have precision weapons, but they do have some bloodthirsty soldiers. And evidently, we don't know the details yet, but they opened up fire directly at our crew one day after killing a New York Times reporter in cold blood directly, shooting him through the neck. Our crew got attacked. Benjamin Hall survived. We did not have many details, but we know for the best news yet, Benjamin Hall is out of the country. He is now safe and out of Ukraine. He's alert and in good spirits. He's uh, being treated with the best possible care uh, in the world, and we are close contact with his wife and his family. He's got three little girls uh, in England. So my hope is he's in Ramstein Air Base. If they can fly him out, that's where he would go. That's the finest facility, and it's the closest facility around. I know we were talking to the Israelis and others to try to help us out. There's a lot of private groups that do it, too. I'm not sure the details. It will all emerge. I'm not in a rush to get the details. I'm just glad that he's out. And this is Benjamin Hall. He evidently took some heavy shrapnel in his legs and all about his body. Uh, He does know, we understand, that uh, his his fixer, this young woman, as well as uh, our shooter, who is uh, our cameraman, who is probably one of the most respected people in our company, Uh, He has uh, passed away at the age of 55. So his wife was informed. When she was informed, uh, she was informed yesterday. That's why details were held back. Just keep in mind, this is what makes this so challenging. Think about this. We are actually with a country that's being invaded. Usually we're embedded with our own troops who know how to keep our press safe. Sometimes they're still not kept safe, but they know how. Sometimes you lose the, the, uh, the firing line. You lose the battle lines. We understand that. But here... You are in a city that was once pristine and historic, now is being blown up. You're being protected by sometimes average citizens with guns who have no strategy to protect a city. Who does? I mean, can you protect Chicago or New York City or Orlando or Jacksonville? So you're doing that. You're embedded. You're in an apartment building. He's aiming for hotels. So when you go out on the ground, you're really at risk and, and not knowing the battle lines, not being in better with the American troops really hurts. To have the Russian thugs be the aggressor and to be on the defensive crouch is not something our reporters are used to doing. Not that anybody's experience could have prevented this by almost all accounts. So when we come back, uh, as we continue with the show, we'll continue to update you as we get it with Benjamin Hall. But as you see, uh, Steve Harrigan is now back. Trey Yingst is over there. Amy Kellogg is overseas. I'm not sure exactly where. Uh, And we also have uh, various reporters. uh, 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 Greg Palcott is the other. So keep it here. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you want to order any of my books, talk about America in the past and today, go to briankilmeade.com. I can personalize them and send it out. Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Thanks so much for being here. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. I hope you listen to the show and you're, and you're in our family of affiliates. But if not, you can always watch on Fox Nation. And, you're, and you could also pick us up on a podcast. Uh, this hour, as we come to you from New York, we really hope we, you hear us around the world. Because what's happening here in this country and what just happened in Washington, D.C., is going to echo around the world. With us in a matter of moments is going to be a military expert we're definitely in need of. Uh, he is General Michael Rapass, and the bottom of the hour National Review uh, executive editor Rich Lowry. Rich Lowry came out and wrote a column. You might not like for you anti-Trumpers. He says you cannot blame Trump for what's happening in Ukraine. No kidding. I thought that would go without saying. But let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So if the Chinese do uh, provide military uh, support uh, to the uh, Russians, what will the U.S. do? Again, without going to the specifics of what we'll do, we've made very clear that that's not something that uh, we're going to take sitting down. Yeah, uh, that is uh, Wolf Blitzer and Anthony Blinken, two fascinating individuals. China, time for choosing. When their economy sucked with their economy sucking wind and COVID cases rising like never before inside that country, is it time for them to be best friends with the world's pariah, Russia. Why I think they may choose to back away from West to avoid Western sanctions. I'll talk about it. Number two. Inflation defeats presidents. And even if it isn't Joe Biden's fault, it is his problem. Polls show people say even if uh, prices go up, they're still in favor of this oil and gas ban. Sure, that's what they say now. But, you know, three, four, five, six, seven months from now, we don't know if they're going to be as willing to sacrifice. Yeah, I'll take two, I'll take 75 cents, maybe, but not two dollars and 75 cents. It adds up if you're paycheck to paycheck. The economy, inflation, rising gas prices, the administration's cure all. Let's spend, spend, spend and blame Putin. Well, even in some of his own party, break from that illusion and they say drill, 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 and the presidential polls show the president not doing that is really killing his hopes for re-election. Number one. Close the airspace. Please stop the bombing. How many more cruise missiles have to fall on our cities until you make this happen? The fight, the address to Congress, and the talks, which could lead to peace. We will have it all as we comprehensively look at the brutal war in Ukraine as Russia's cruelty can't overcome Ukrainians' bravery. And let's bring in Major General Michael Rapass, uh, retired now as Commander of Special Operations in Europe and is the Chief Executive Officer of Able Global Solutions, LLC, which uh, started back about nine years ago. General, last night I was heartened to see Ukraine went a little bit on the offensive. They pressed over in the southeast uh, in Kharkiv. They moved a little bit. They moved into uh, Irpin, uh, Irpan, I should say, and Burke, uh, as well as Mikulov, Mikulov in the area of the southeast. So they are trying to move and trying to move on the Russians. How effective can they be? Hey, uh, Brian, thanks for having me on, first of all. And uh, second, I've and, and I really uh, – I got to say, you know, pass my sympathies and uh, and concerns to the, the Fox family there for the loss of your cameraman and correspondent over there. It's important that those guys do their job and be allowed to do their job. Uh, you know, bring the word of, of what's going on back to America. It's a it's a it's a big loss. I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, it's unbelievable, and it just shows you how dangerous it is. Uh, also, just to underline it, I guess one of the real challenges is that you're behind enemy lines. 
with you're not with American forces for the first time really in my lifetime. You're not with the South Viet. You're not with the American South Vietnamese. You're not with the Americans and and South Koreans. You're not with the Americans in Iraq or Afghanistan. You know you're not in Kuwait. You are with are yep. you Ukrainians who don't know where the next attack is going to come with Russians who have absolutely no battle ethics and morals. Right. Yeah, uh, it's a tough job, and the guys are over there uh, doing their best, uh, putting it all on the line. Uh, you know, for the audiences back, uh, not only in America but I would say in in the world, it's uh, allowed to listen to the news, unlike yeah. Russia. So, so let's so, talk about what's uh, happening right now. Kiev has yeah. been been shelled. Kharkiv has been shelled pretty regularly. Uh, Maripol has never, never had, They've been relentless, but only one city has fallen. What do you take from where are we at now? Okay, so yeah. Uh, where we're at right now is uh, Russia spent the previous three or four days uh, uh, refitting, uh, resupplying, and really building up their forces to resume the offensive. Uh, in military strategy, some some would say that they culminated, but that it actually was just a tactical pause uh, to do what they would normally do. Uh, culmination would come much later, be more dramatic, I might say. So. Uh, after this refit, they're ready to resume the offensive, and it looks like in the past 24 hours that's what they've done. Uh, their strategy uh, in Ukraine essentially appears to be uh, destroy the cities, make them unlivable by destroying the public uh, waterworks, the sewer, the telecommunications, all means of governance, uh, all, all livable facilities, uh, the whole nine yards, disallow any humanitarian aid, food, et cetera, medicines coming in there. And you essentially starve the people out. We've seen that in Grozny uh, back in the early 90s. We saw it in uh, uh, Syria as well, most recently in Homs and uh, in other places, where they just destroy the city and make it unlivable for civilians. And everybody that can leave, leaves. Those that are left behind are considered combatants. And the Russian military can basically uh, shell, shoot, blow up the rest of them that are left in the city. So that's their strategy, particularly in Mariupol. Now, why they why they've been so adamant about Mariupol is because they want a land bridge from uh, Russia proper through the Donetsk area that they've been uh, holding since 2014 down to Crimea. They want that land bridge there. So that's why uh, such a fierce battle around Mariupol. Mariupol had a uh, very strong uh, uh, civil population there that was willing to resist. Uh, they were prepared for this. They expected it to come. Uh, they spent years really preparing for it. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, I think just the sheer numbers and mass of what the Russians have thrown against that problem set uh, is going to overwhelm the defenders there before too long. In other key cities, uh, Kherson up north, or Kherson down south, um, uh, Kharkiv up north, uh, you're seeing the same thing. They're trying to overwhelm the cities uh, by mass firepower, uh, making them unlivable by destroying the waterworks, et cetera. Uh, and sealing them off from any uh, potential resupply or reinforcement. So uh, that's how they're going to proceed. Uh, and I, I think that they will be hard-pressed. I can't see how they could actually pull that off in Kiev. Uh, Kiev's better, bigger than the New York City and, and the associated boroughs put together. Uh, there's just no way that the, the mass is too big for them. The, the, they can't control or they can't take it and control it once they get it. So 
what can we do to help? Uh, that's what President Zelensky has done this morning. He's asked the joint session yeah. of Congress, got another standing ovation. He wants a no-fly zone. He wants S-300 uh, missile defense systems. He wants better stuff. He wants more stuff. We know the Ukrainians are fighting. What else could we give them that I wouldn't know about because I don't have your military background? Okay, so uh, there's several things. I've, I've got a bit of a list here. I've been working on this for a while. Good. Eight days ago, uh, myself, General Breedlove, former commander of uh, uh, NATO and uh, the former chief of defense of Estonia, put together a letter, and uh, we said basically what President Zelensky said today. Uh, we asked for air defense assets to be provided uh, to Ukraine, specifically S-300s. Uh, they're available within the NATO countries. They can be transferred. The Ukrainians know how to use them now if they get them. Uh, so there's no training required. Uh, this is to replace and replenish. Uh, the assets have been destroyed uh, since the opening days of the war. What that does is it, it takes over the gap that's created by uh, the short range of the Stingers. Stingers are for short range air defense. Uh, you know, about about a mile and a half, two miles is, is their maximum effective range. And above that, you got to have something that can reach out and touch the uh, the Russian high altitude bombing and uh, and the cruise missiles that are coming in. So the S three hundred fills that role. Uh, that would take it would take us a long way, or take the Ukrainians a long way in stopping uh, the aerial bombardment. Uh, the next thing is you could provide uh, uh, resupply on other weapons uh, that we've been putting in there. Uh, we've talked about the javelins. Javelins require batteries, uh, command launch units, and, and other components to actually work. So you get the missile, and then you get like a component package of things that make it work. Uh, so the component packages, uh, they got plenty of missiles, but they need you know, need batteries and other things to go with it. So uh, need more of that. Uh, the so-called unguided or, or uh, direct fire anti-tank weapons are doing rather well. The, the British uh, in-law, as they call it, um, the AT4s and, and some of the other weapons that have been provided are, are rather well uh, employed. Different than javelins, also. Yeah, the javelins. Yeah, the javelin uh, anti-tank system has a, uh, a guidance unit that requires batteries, and specialized the, batteries. You what's can't this go other one called? Uh, the other one is called the Inlaw. Uh, the new family of uh, light anti-tank weapons provided by the British Inlaw. Um, so those those weapons are being provided in abundance. I would say sniper rifles rifles are uh, uh, also something we can provide. We provided a, a bunch of them already, uh, but there are a lot more people out there that could use them now. Uh, so those are those would be useful. The Soviet area aircraft uh, has been in the news as well. Uh, some people have advocated for that. Uh, I believe that they would be helpful. Uh, Admiral Stavridis over the weekend talked about these, and he said, "Hey, you know." Uh, they provide uh, a morale boost for sure and an increased capability. I agree with the increased capability and the morale boost. Absolutely. Additionally, it would allow uh, the maintainers that are working on the uh, Ukrainian aircraft now to have additional aircraft for floats and uh, to cycle through the others through maintenance. So uh, the more aircraft you have, the better off they can be. So they can take take the offensive from the air against um, the Russian uh, capabilities that are in country. Uh, the other thing. So you don't worry about the MiGs being outdated. No, I, yeah, no, I, 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 that's a factor. Uh, but it's, <laughs> look, Brian, it's it's better than you know. It's better than what they got now. The the, the 
uh, Europeans that own these aircraft, the Croatians, uh, the Czechs, the Slovaks, they've done a very good job of maintain, uh, maintaining and upgrading those aircraft. So those those aircraft, I think, are probably as good or better than what uh, the Ukrainians already have uh, in the inventory. Um, at, at the end of President Zelensky's uh, address there, which was very powerful, I hope you got a chance to see that. Um, anyway, he, he talked about U.S. leadership in the world. Uh, what is happening is, is the United States is, is following rather than leading on of sanctions and, and actions that we're taking against uh, uh, Russian uh, personalities. Uh, the Europeans are well far ahead of us in terms of breadth and depth of sanctions. We need to catch up with them, and then we need to take the lead on this and get out in front of the of the sanctioning business. There's a lot more that we can do. And, of course, uh, one of the crazy things we can do is to let uh, China know it is not okay to supply these guys. It's not okay to bypass our sanctions. It's not okay to give them armaments, food, which they reportedly are asking for. And let right. China, let's see what's best for China. Do they really want to be the best friends of the pariah on the planet? 140 countries condemn this action. Outside, I don't know what Israel's doing, and India's uh, bizarre action, but they have a defense deal uh, that goes back decades, and they hate China. Uh, almost everybody's walked away uh, horrified by uh, Russia's actions. How do we get China to pay attention? Jake Sullivan's not doing it. Right. Uh, well, I happen to know that uh, there's been essentially a demarche put out uh, to all the nations saying, hey, if you support Russia, uh, then we will sanction you similarly than, uh, to how we're doing Russia right now. So it's been very clear, and China was included in that. Uh, if you support Russia, then we're going to sanction you like we sanctioned Russia. Uh, and the nations have been told this, not only China, but, but uh, the others that may be uh, you know, concerned about, you know, like maybe I can get away with something. Right. You're not going to get away with it. We're going to know. The State Department and other people are paying very close attention to who's doing what. So that's the first thing. This uh, Second thing on China is they're, they, they are watching the disintegration of Russia before their eyes. And they, they have to be mortified. They have to be mortified at a couple of things. Number one, the, 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 peer, or the perception of, of Russian invincibility on the military line that bail has been absolutely pierced. Uh, everybody sees that they were they were not what uh, we've been led to believe over the past decades or so. Uh, so they see that, and they're a bit mortified by that. They also see the disintegration of Russia as a nation, uh, politically, economically, and militarily. Uh, so they don't want to hook their their future uh, to a sinking ship. They're going to come to their senses. Uh, they're going to try to ride this line, but they are not going to get taken down by Russia. Uh, they have a lot more to lose than anything that Russia could potentially give them. Yes, they're dependent on Russia for energy, but so is Europe and so is everybody else. And so we're, the world is going to figure out how to get by without uh, Russian energy. Right. It's just so important, uh, General, in my humble opinion. It's, uh, it's so yeah. important that we finish off uh, and we diminish Russia forever now, forever they can't recalibrate and come back in two years and take Georgia, Moldova, uh, continue to harass our allies, uh, in our NATO allies or anybody else, go into Syria, create chaos, uh, combine with Iran to, uh, to create chaos and, and an oil cartel. They have to be brought to heel now. Final thought? Uh, yeah. Uh, 
Brian, I just want to jump on everything you just said. First off, I, I agree with it and endorse it. Second of all, Russia's doing this to themselves. They're racing themselves to the bottom. Uh, every tank that gets blown up in Ukraine unnecessarily uh, by their uh, aggressive terrorist actions, every plane that gets shot down, all of that is just another another step towards irrelevance on the international stage. I hope so. General, we're going to have to leave it there, but you're, uh, the way you went into detail, prepared for this, I truly appreciate it. Not talking generically, but digging in, because they got we got to figure out a way for, for the Ukrainians to survive, for everybody. I totally agree with President Zelensky. This is more than just about Ukraine, and hopefully we get more invested in this fight. Uh, General uh, Rapass, thanks so much. Thank you. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I mean, there's something very strange about Biden saying, you know, we're going to cut off Russian oil, but I'm going to go and beg Saudi Arabia, Venezuela and Iran, the people who like a few weeks ago (laughs) we cut off and wouldn't buy their oil because they were the bad guy. But now they're less the bad guy. We got to find a better way to play this game than who's the bad guy of the week we're not buying oil from. Uh, Bill Maher basically saying what we've been saying, except for drill here. I'm not sure where he stands on green energy. Sure, if you're a Democrat and you want renewables, I think if you're anybody you want renewables, when the technology's there, do it. Maybe the deal is we will double the amount of R&D and hire some major private businesses to work on various areas from the Teslas of the world on down, who we subsidize, to come out with affordable cars and find a way for example, to make renewable energy work and be consistent from wind to solar. You let me know when it's ready and we'll jump in. It's not a reluctance. It's not ready. And I'll add this. The more you look into batteries and these electric cars, know the batteries are storage. They're storage containers. What do you do with the battery after? Where are you going to get the power and energy? It's going to be powered, I understand. 65% of batteries are powered by fossil fuels. So please, think this out, and don't depend on AOC for our energy policy. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. If Putin thought Trump was really that supportive of him, why didn't he invade when Trump was in office? It's at least worth asking that question if you're not locked into one intransigent thought. That is Bill Maher continuing to expand his audience and his school of thought. But he's not coming out and saying, you know, Ronald Reagan and, uh, and supply-side economics really make sense. He's coming out and just saying logical things that goes against his party. Joe Manchin has not become a, a right-wing Republican. He's just logical. Maybe Rich Lowry feels differently. He's the editor of Nash Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. Rich, how unbelievable is it that I'm rolling in a Bill Maher cut to get ready for your segment? <laughs> We're on the Bill, Bill Maher bandwagon now. No, it's a, it's, he's right. Of course it's a question to ask, but, but for certain people, it's, it's literally unaskable. I, I tweeted uh, right when the war was about to start. You know, I think Putin was, was at least frightened or, or maybe a little wary of Trump's reaction, and I think that that would have made him more hesitant to do this. And and Twitter exploded. Like people wrote columns attacking this tweet. And it seems to me, you know, it's a reasonable point. It's it's at least a defensible point. You know, you get an evasion prior to Trump 
taking office in 2014, and then you get one after after he leaves office in 2022. It's got to at least make you go, huh? And instead, like the last five days, you've had the spate of commentary actually blaming somehow Trump for for this this invasion that happened, you know, a year and a half after he left office. It's it's bizarre. But you do write that no, you cannot blame Trump for this war, and they do seem to be trying to try to say that. Would actually the the big story? They say, well, if he didn't have that problem with Ukraine and Rudy Giuliani traipsing through the country, no. I think the vice president coming in uh, demanding a prosecutor get fired. I think the MREs and blankets instead of weapons to defend themselves under Obama. I think that had something to do with it, don't you? Yeah. Well, even if you take the very worst interpretation of what Trump did in the Ukraine controversy, weapons were withheld from June. Uh, 19 to September 19. So yep. there's like a two-month pause. And this is the context of Obama resisting a bipartisan consensus that they should get lethal weapons and not giving them any lethal weapons as a matter of policy, not delaying, just none whatsoever. So the, the idea that this, this pause s- somehow created the predicate for, for this is crazy. And, you know, some people say, well, Putin was just waiting for Trump to pull out of NATO. I don't think Trump was ever pulling out of NATO. If he did, there would have been, you know, bipartisan veto-proof majorities putting us back in. But uh, he created some uncertainty about it because he was pounding away on the Germans and others on defense spending. So if all it takes to keep Putin from invading Ukraine is to say we're really upset about Germans not spending enough on uh, their defense, that's great. That, that's, I'll take that trade any day of the week. Absolutely. And, you know, he went into NATO and he, he did, basically did like Bill Parcells. You guys are all going to get cut unless something changes around here. Oh, he wants to disband the team. No, he wants better play from everyone. And he wants to let him know that it was not going to be business as usual. That's, that's a tactic that he always, impro- that he always approaches mm-hmm. when he was bargaining. Look, yeah, it was uh, Na- NAFTA, too. He did it with NAFTA, too. Now, I'm going to give you a scenario, Rich. Uh, Donald Trump wins re-election. And Af- we leave Afghanistan that way. And then six months later, we see Vladimir Putin invade Ukraine. Do you, do you know that there wouldn't be any condemnation of Putin? Maybe 80 percent of the condemnation would be on exactly. how a bad yeah. president Donald Trump is? Trump did it. Yeah, Trump did Trump it. Did it. And that's, you know, ultimately responsibility here obviously is with Putin. But if you look at, it, look at it through the prism you're suggesting, why isn't everyone just saying Biden's deterrence failed? I mean, Biden said we were going to deter, deter them, threatened them with all these sanctions. It didn't make any difference. He, he went in. Why isn't that a presidential failure? You know, it certainly would have been if, if, if that, those events had played out with Trump in office. A couple of things, too. Uh, I, I just think this is an historic opportunity, and I just believe that Every day that this war goes on and you see the, 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 blood, the bloodthirsty Russian inept army just leveling cities instead of using precision weapons, using outdated tanks, running out of gas, not being able to take over the skies in a country with virtually no air force, with inexperienced pilots. You see them running out of ammo. You know, a lot of people are saying within 10 days they're going to be out of provisions begging China and Syria to fight with them or provide uh, provide what they need. I'm saying that we have a chance to stop this cancer on the world in its tracks and let them deal with Putin. I'm not saying we know how to overthrow that guy or should, but just let it fall in on its own weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it would obviously be huge if the Ukrainians can just stop them. And there's some potential of that. I still think it's, it's uh, likelier that 
Putin just grinds on and eventually takes these cities, but he hasn't taken a major city yet. And there are serious people who think you know, they're going to run out of supplies and have just too much difficulty maintaining these forces in Ukraine. And this was never the plan, right? I mean, it was supposed to take 48 hours. Instead, here we are you know, in our, our third week. So eventually it'll just stop and they'll have mm-hmm. to withdraw. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm praying that that happens. I'm not sure that it will. And then the other factor is, even if that does happen, what does Putin do? I mean, he's got to know that Russian leaders who have military fiascos on their watch, there's either a revolution or they're deposed. So it, it could be an existential question for him. And that's where you, you know, get potential, the potential of him lashing out or trying to, to escalate, to de-escalate, as the, as the Russian doctrine puts it. So, so I want you to hear Dan Hoffman. Dan Hoffman weighed in and says, listen, we know we don't want to get in there with, with military men and women, but listen, we could do more. Cut seven. Ukraine's very existence right now is in peril, and it has to weigh on the conscience of all of our elected leaders, but most especially President Biden and his team. Uh, They have to ask themselves, have we done enough? We certainly didn't do enough to prevent Russia's invasion, to deter that. We could have given Ukraine a lot of javelins uh, and a lot of stingers. We could have even given them MiGs way back a year ago when Vladimir Putin put 70,000 troops on the border, and we didn't do it. And we're still not doing all that we can do. It seems like Vladimir Putin is deterring us from doing the right thing. So he thinks we could be doing more on the ground. And, you know, President Zelensky just addressed a joint session of Congress on Monday, addressed the Canadian Parliament. Last week, the U.K. Parliament. Earlier than that, when the war first started from the EU. This guy is somebody we're never going to forget, Rich, as you as somebody likes to study history and put perspective in your columns that you write, don't react to so as if uh, the history started the day you, uh, the day the news broke. I think this guy really stands out by trying to make it everybody's cause, not save Ukraine, save democracy. Yeah. So, so that speech. I mean, it's so extraordinary. At the end. When he went to English, and in no speech, you know, it, it can be, you know, Demosthenes or something. But if there's a translator, it just loses something. But when he was directly, even in heavily accented English, saying at the end, basically, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to die for this cause. How often do you hear that in, in that chamber of Congress? Yeah, never. We we hear witless posturing and, and pandering. So it was very powerful. The video, uh, you know, was gut wrenching at, at times, impossible to watch. And Rich, what people are referring to at home is the actual Ukrainians edited together a montage with music on the on the on the strife, the death and destruction that's been bestowed on their country that they edited. In fact, you talked about speaking in English. After the montage, this is what he said. Now I'm almost 45 years old. Today my age stopped when the heart of more than 100 children stopped beating. I see no sense in life if it cannot stop the death. And this is my main mission as the leader of my people, great Ukrainians. And as the leader of my nation, I'm addressing the President Biden. You are the leader of the nation, of your great nation. I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. So he's, t- he's, he's talking directly to President Biden through Congress who Jen Psaki wouldn't even commit that he was going to be watching. They said he had a busy day. So what do you think? What comes out of this? 
I think he's getting every weapon he wants. I think he's getting the MiGs. I think he's getting the advanced anti-aircraft missiles. Yeah, I I just think it's going to be irresistible. And there's going to be pressure to do more than that. Vice President Pence was on Fox just 20 minutes ago. He endorsed humanitarian airlifts. There's going to be more pressure for a no-fly zone. I would draw the line at both of those things. I think that they, they're too, it's too direct involvement, uh, both the no-fly zone and the airlifts. But everything else, I think, Zelensky is going to get. And, and part of the dynamic here has been Congress the last two, three weeks. Almost everything Congress has pushed for, it's gotten out of Biden. You know, it's, it's, it's been leading rather than Biden on a lot of these things. And I think that that will be true. Um, and, and just he's getting he's getting every every weapon, including the, they'll find a way to get him the MIGs. I'm not sure the MIGs you know make a big difference, um, but but he's going to get him. And Kevin McCarthy also, and his uh, availability right after the speech said Let, let's let's let the Ukrainians do a no-fly zone, meaning let's get him every possible weapon, including the the jets, to try to neutralize the Russian threat from the air. So I want to get your take on what do you think China's going to do? It's the most intriguing. Read some in-depth stories about China's economy not doing well. All their press, their nationalizing of different sectors and their clamp down on, on the distribution of wealth, on the tech center, on entrepreneurship is beginning to flatten their economy along with them getting hit by the virus that they bestowed on the world from the worst ever. They're getting Omicron right now. Craig Singleton, he's a Foundation for Defensive Democracies guy. He said this last night to Shannon, Cut 28. Well, I think we've started to see a really, uh, a real evolution in China's approach to the ongoing crisis in Ukraine, and increasingly recognition in Beijing that they are dangerously exposed to Western sanctions. And as a result, what I would spe- expect over the next uh, few weeks is increasingly increasing calls from Beijing uh, for some sort of a ceasefire or uh, a mediated settlement. And at the same time, you're going to see increasing pressure here from the United States on China. Um, pretty much saying, if you cross the line, if you skirt these sanctions, Chinese entities and Chinese financial institutions could find themselves subject to U.S. sanctions or secondary U.S. sanctions. And the Europeans are also starting to get into the game. And so I do think this is a point of leverage for the United States in its dealings both with Russia and with Beijing going forward. How do you see it, Rich Lowry? I think those are, those are interesting points, and, and I hope both are true, that the, the Chinese will distance themselves a little bit and call for mediation, and that we'll be pressuring them on the other end. I think at the end of the day, fundamentally, they're with Putin. They hate us. They, they hate the West. They, they want to upset the world order as, as has existed since World War II, at least, or at least since the Cold War, and that's their fundamental interest, and they're, they're not going to be uh, moved off of that, although they might uh, feel compelled now to kind of dance around on, on Ukraine some. Well, it would just be interesting if if we start uniting and maybe make it harder for them to make money and hurt their market. That's what they understand. I don't think they'll ever like us, but they need us, I believe. Um, Are you concerned about us getting off the dollar that the Saudis considering uh, buying oil or selling oil using their currency? Yeah, I mean, having the dollar as the world's reserve currency is an enormous benefit to us. That was one of the downsides of moving on SWIFT. It kind of makes everyone against Russia on SWIFT. It kind of makes everyone a little nervous about that. Um, so I, I do think we should be doing everything we reasonably can to, to maintain our, our dominance there. Okay. It's, a, it's a huge strategic and economic benefit. Last thing, the uh, poll is out. 52% of uh, Wall Street Journal poll said they don't expect President Biden to run for re-election in 2024. Uh, they go on to say, uh, for various reasons, the survey also found that 28 percent expect him to win a second term and 19 percent say they are unsure. That's pretty substantial for a guy looking for re-election. 
Among Democrats, 41% say they believe he will run, 32% say he won't, and 26% say they're unsure. Hypothetical matchup, though, between Trump and Biden, basically a dead heat at 40-40. Yeah, so it's – I I don't think he's going to run again. I mean, there are three years left, Brian. It's hard to imagine, and and he's in the midst of a crisis. This would be aging, you know, 45-year-old, you know, a a month every single day. How's it going to be at at his age? So it's just really hard to see, and the Democrats are stuck. I mean, they obviously don't have many uh, really appealing – alternatives. And there was another poll that had Trump and Biden at 45-45. And it just feels, though, if if both of them are the nominees, you know, again, I kind of doubt Biden's going to run. You could have, you know, gazillions of dollars in spent and dramatic news cycles for the next two years, and it would still be 45-45 on the eve of the election. But do you believe that Trump's going to get in? I don't know. I, I, I think the odds are he will, yeah. And if he, but, gets, but, if, if he runs, who know. also runs? That's a question. I, um, I, I think some people will run against him, but it'll be a much reduced field. Uh, DeSantis, obviously, is the big question. Someone was telling me that um, the other day, is cl- close to someone who, who was in the, the DeSantis operation, is he, he's just absolutely adamant that there's no way DeSantis would run against uh, against Trump. But that's that's the from this juncture, and, and nothing ever holds true, you know, two years out from a presidential primary. But I, I would say Trump runs and DeSantis doesn't. And there are a couple other people that run against Trump, but Trump obviously has the whip hand. Yeah, Christie, maybe Governor Hogan, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe uh, Mitt Romney. I doubt it, but uh, Mitt Romney. And I think one of those pro-Trump people will run that like Trump. Maybe it's Tom Cotton. Maybe it's Mike Pompeo mm-hmm. that tries to run without insulting him. I don't know if that's yeah, possible. Yeah, well, that's the 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 it, It's going to be really hard to, to stop Trump if he if he runs. But if he does, the only way you are going to do it is from the Trump wing. Not like a, this this guy was everything about him was horrible, disaster, and wrong from the beginning. It's like no, you did really good things. Um, we really appreciate it. You killed off the the Clinton dynasty. That's wonderful. We support ninety percent of your policy, but you lost to Joe Biden, and, we, and it's time time to give someone else a try. That that's the only possible argument I would see working. Interesting. Rich Lowry, always fascinating. Editor of National Review. Thanks so much, Rich. Hey, thanks, Brian. Hey, your turn. Uh, I see you all up there. Wow. one 408 7669 Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have real concerns that uh, Russia could use a chemical uh, a weapon, another we- weapon of mass destruction. This is something we're very, we're very focused on. Unfortunately, we've seen them use or acquiesce to its use before in Syria, uh, with, uh, with Syria using these weapons, uh, using them itself, uh, trying to assassinate its, uh, its opponents, including in the United Kingdom. Uh, so this is something we are very focused on. Well, if they do use chemical weapons, uh, what will the U.S. and the NATO allies do? We've been very clear, uh, including uh, with, uh, with Russia, uh, with others, that there would be a very serious response, not just from us, but from the international community. I'm not going to spell it out here, but the consequences would be severe. Right. Uh, we never really quite spell it out, do we? Uh, Bill was on WSKY in Florida. Hey, Bill. 
Yes, uh, you or one of your guests uh, brought up a subject yesterday. It was very interesting. I, I, and pardon me for my brain fade on that one, but anyway, uh, it was brought up that there should be an international tribunal, uh, possibly the uh, NATO nations and, and allies, and uh, convict uh, Putin and these uh, Russians of uh, war crimes. Uh, and so what that would do, if nothing else, would do a little cage rattling that for the rest of your life, if you ventured outside your little protective hobbit, Absolutely. you might be nabbed and hanged. Senator Lindsey Graham brought it up uh, brought it and put the case. He's putting the case together. He's got 100 senators with him, so 99 more with him, Bill. And I think you're right. Don't just go after Vladimir Putin. The commanders in the field that are shooting at hospitals that took Chernobyl and made all those uh, nuclear energy workers work 500 hours a, a week uh, while they try to sustain that power plant and not nuke the entire continent. All these commanders shooting at hospitals and kids and press people and killing them. They all should be responsible. Don't say I was just following orders. Not good enough. BrianKillMe.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show from New York City. Crime ravaged and demanding a vaccine for the Mets, Yankees, Nets, and Knicks. Unbelievable, or they can't play at home. Uh, Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick coming up at the bottom of the hour. Jennifer Griffin, in a matter of moments, we have a lot to cover, including the the really dramatic address from President Zelensky just a couple of hours ago. Uh, we were to a joint session of Congress two days prior to a joint session of Parliament uh, in Canada. Uh, a week before that, a, a, a address to the U.K. Parliament, and a week before that, he addressed, or two weeks, addressed the European Union. Uh, he wants to get his message out that this is not just about Ukraine. It's about standing up for democracy and Western culture, and I agree. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So if the Chinese do uh, provide military uh, support uh, to the uh, Russians, what will the U.S. do? Again, without going to the specifics of what we'll do, we've made very clear that that's not something that uh, we're going to take sitting down. Oh, well, there you go. China, time for choosing. With their economy sucking wind and COVID cases rising, might not be a great time to be great friends with the world's number one pariah, Russia, China. So why I think they may choose to back away before Western sanctions start being directed their way. Number two. Inflation defeats presidents, and even if it isn't Joe Biden's fault, it is his problem. Polls show people say even if uh, prices go up, they're still in favor of this oil and gas ban. Sure, that's what they say now, but, you know, three, four, five, six, seven months from now, we don't know if they're going to be as willing to sacrifice. Well, 75 cents, not uh, not $3 a gallon more. The economy, inflation, rising gas prices, the administration's cure-all. For now, spend, spend, spend. And, oh, yeah, blame President Putin. Well, even some in their own party break from that illusion. And the American people are not buying it as we receive the latest presidential polls. Number one. Close the airspace. Please stop the bombing. How many more cruise missiles have to fall on our cities until you make this happen? 
Yeah, there he goes. That's uh, President Zelensky, the fight, the address to Congress and the talks which could lead to peace. We will have it all as we comprehensively cover the brutal war in Ukraine as Russia's cruelty can't overcome Ukraine's bravery. Uh, let's bring in Jennifer Griffin. Uh, you know what she, she, Jennifer does everything, Fox News National Security Correspondent. Uh, Jennifer, uh, first off, what, what did you think of the president's address, President Zelensky's address to the joint session of Congress? Any surprises? Thanks, Brian. I think what is most notable, first of all, I mean, what an orator. Uh, we have not seen leadership like this for um, for a long time, and I think we're at a historic inflection point. Uh, but I also think you have to put into context the emotions of what he is enduring, what his people are enduring, the video from uh, that we are seeing from Mariupol and and from the other cities that are being attacked, it is it is heart wrenching, gut wrenching. We know from the loss of our own colleagues how incredibly brutal the Russian military is. How they have no uh, no concern for civilian lives. I thought what was most notable about what Zelensky said, what President Zelensky said, was when he spoke directly to. President Biden and to the Congress. And he said to President Biden, you are the leader of the nation. I wish you to be the leader of the world. To be the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. He got a standing ovation from Congress. But what was notable was that he did not mention NATO anywhere in his speech. That's significant because obviously NATO is a trigger word for for Vladimir Putin. Uh, It's part of the propaganda as to why Putin said he uh, invaded Ukraine because of uh, NATO membership, which, of course, uh, is is something that's in Ukraine's constitution. So NATO is a factor. But he also was trying to say, don't just look at this conflict as whether Ukraine is a member of NATO or not and draw this hard line at the border with Poland. Uh, But look at us as a symbol of democracy, of free people standing up to autocracy, to dictators, to people who are trying to extinguish another peace, you know, another free nation. And so it was the reframing of that that I think is going to lead to debate here at home and also within the U.S. government and in European capitals. I also think uh, it's ve- he made a very important point. He called for, he talked about how institutions had failed, institutions that had been established since the end of World War II to try and prevent these kinds of genocides or World War II genocides uh, from happening again. They are failing. NATO failed to be able to stop Russia from being able to do this despite you know, uh, its best efforts. Uh, the European Union could not stop it, but most importantly, the UN cannot stop it. And the way the UN is set up right now with Security Council members, Russia, China, who are two of the biggest human rights abusers and violators in the world, having a veto power, they've made a mockery of that institution. And so what he was calling for was a something he called a U24, and it was basically uh, a United Nations of democracies, of free freedom uh, loving people who are not then being dictated to by dictators within their own institutions. Those institutions have been infiltrated by world powers that just don't play by the rules. And so we need to we need institutions. And this alternative U24 that he talked about is really something I've been thinking a lot about, about how in this historic inflection point, 
just like after World War II, are we going to strengthen alliances, strengthen institutions so this never happens again? Yeah, the U.N.'s never going to budge, so that's not going to change. Uh, the last time I budged on the Security Council was China, the China swap, right? Taiwan for Red China. So it, it, there's a lot of failures uh, yeah. at the U.N. I think it would take a, a long time to go through all of them. That being said, we can't not have a U.N. or a EU or a NATO. Getting rid of alliances then creates anarchy and allows autocrats to just take what they want with no and, and then it becomes bilateral war. You know, it, 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 you, you have wars between nations that, that also spin out of control. So reestablishing uh, a global world order where this kind of invasion of other countries and, and trying to extinguish a country from the map, as, which is what Vladimir Putin is doing right now, uh, that is where the debate should be and actions need to be taken because this is a wake-up call for the world, as we've been saying now for several weeks, Brian. So, Jennifer, what do you think, uh, what do you think of the analysis by some that the Russians are running out of food, they're running out of uh, provisions. They're running out of ammo. They're running out of equipment. Uh, and that for the Ukrainians will see a turning of the tide if they can hold on for 10 days. How much of that is real? I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think, um, it, I think we have seen a lot of evidence of supply line issues, of morale issues, of uh, inability to be able to take these population centers. They're stymied and stalemated uh, 21 days into this. Nobody thought that, that Kiev could, could, the capital could have held on for 21 days. This is truly extraordinary. And so the, do not underestimate the will to fight of the Ukrainian people, as we've seen evidence of. I think the Russian military is proving itself to be a big lumbering mess, but it also still has 90 percent of its firepower left and can do a lot of damage. And and it, it still has artillery, long-range fire. We're now up to, I think, more than 950 uh, missiles, ballistic and cruise missiles fired into. We see the condition of the cities and what they've done, what the Russians have done to places like Mariupol. They are willing to do that to every city in Ukraine. They are not out of a will to continue. Vladimir Putin, if anything, is feeling more and more cornered, and that's a very dangerous position for him to be in. Sun Tzu always wrote, the famous you know, um, author of, of war, always build a golden bridge of retreat for your enemy because you don't want them cornered. You don't want them having no way out. Uh, that being said, so they're definitely having problems. Even if this were going as planned, as Putin said, from a military perspective, if you look at military doctrine, uh, um, as it's been explained to me, is that after, uh, in about 10 days' time, any military, any ground force uh, would need to take a break, uh, a, a pause for resupply. That would happen even if they had gone with their plan, you know, swimmingly, which they haven't. They've been stopped at every turn by the Ukrainian resistance and the incredible, um, uh, you know, shoulder-fired weapons and uh, that the U.S. has provided to to the Ukrainians. But that being said, so if every day that Kiev and President Zelensky and his team can hold on in the capital is a uh, if they can get to that two week mark, I do believe you're going to start seeing um, the Russians have real problems with real resupply. I mean, serious problems. And and so. These are really a very crucial 10 days. And so whatever weapons he needs, 
uh, short of a no-fly zone, as President Biden and others have explained why that is not uh, viable right now, despite his very emotional appeals to the Congress today, and also this red herring of the MiG-29s. I've tried to explain for several weeks now why that is not really the most useful weapon right now. Um, now, what we are about to hear from President Biden in the next few minutes, I understand, is an outline of of the $800 million of weapons that are flowing, uh, that he's authorized and that will be flowing, you know, in, in days and hours. And those will include some very, very significant attack um, drones, is my understanding. And that is something they can make great use Americans of. Americans Turkish drones? Uh, my understanding there is they're American, but I'm going to let the okay. president speak to that because I that's not my reporting. That's another news organization's reporting. But I'm told that, that we should listen to what the president announces at 11.45 Eastern. And uh, and so the Turkish drones, there were about 50 of those TB2 uh, drones that were provided over the last two years by the Turks, and they've been very effective. And, and so I think looking at that model is a good one. Remember, and just back to the MiG-29s, because it's been really hard to explain this to our audience, is they would still need very complicated uh, radar system integration with the Ukrainian military. Those things are not just ready to be rolled out, flown across the border. They've been mothballed. They're not in great shape. They need maintenance and parts. It's, it's, it really it became a symbol for the, the desire of the American people and Congress to help uh, President Zelensky. But really, I, I know firsthand that there are people looking to get him the weapons he needs. It's not just about annoying Russia. I, do, I think we're beyond that at this point. I mean, the kinds of weapons that the U.S. and NATO are sending in there are, are pretty significant mm -hmm. weapons. So uh, I understand I was talking to uh, General Michael uh, Rapass. He says there are direct fire anti-tank weapons uh, different than javelins, which are battery. They need batteries. He says we can get them in there. I think they're called in-laws. He was. He oh, was, they're already in there. They're, they're already, already in there. In there. The in-laws. So in-laws. I've been reporting on the in-laws for some time, and uh, those I believe were provided by other NATO countries, particularly Britain, but but perhaps some other. Uh, but no, Brit, when we were to provide the javelins, I think the Brits were providing the in-laws. But the in-laws are in there. Do they need more? Probably. Um, they they need resupply, and and uh, so so that. But but again. $800 million is, uh, has been approved up until last week. There were $350 million, the additional $250 million. I've been tracking these weapons pretty closely, and, and nothing has, dis has disturbed the uh, flow of those weapons. Um, and, and there's a real race against the clock to get as many in there as possible. Wow, so that, that, that would be good news. So, so I know what he, he keeps asking for the no-fly zone. It's not going to happen. I get it. So are there things that we can do that haven't? that you think that these addresses to the U.K., to Canada, and to us, uh, he's been so inspiring and yeah. making the lawmakers, almost passing to, to pass the lawmakers to the people of our various yeah. countries. Do you think there's something else we can do? Look, I think, um, I think it's genius what he's doing in terms of dress, directly addressing the parliaments um, from his perspective and from motivating the world and keeping the world united. I mean, those... Those talks that he's giving are very carefully calibrated uh, to each particular capital, but they're designed 
uh, not to divide NATO, but to really unite yeah. the free world. And that's what's significant. So, yes, uh, maybe you can't, uh, you know, maybe there's one or two things in the speech that, that you know, each sovereign country is going to decide they can't do for one reason or another. But it doesn't mean that it's not having a very significant effect in terms of keeping people focused on what this war is about. I mean, the thing that still still it, it, I'm obsessed with, Brian, is the bravery of the I Russian know. people who are going out to the streets, going on television and protesting despite facing 15 years in prison. It's it's beyond. So we have to keep there's this is a multifaceted pressure uh, campaign and war. And I think that this is a significant part of it. Not one thing is going to win this war. But I can tell you from being a student of history that the right side usually wins. Okay, real quick, uh, Benjamin Hall, we had great news. We got up put this morning. Suzanne Scott confirmed that he's gotten out of the Ukraine. Is there anything else you could tell me uh, about Benjamin, how he's doing, the tragedy of the loss of, um, of Pierre and the interpreter as well? But uh, Benjamin, I understand, does not have an easy time of it either. The loss of Pierre and Sasha, we can't even begin to right. uh, process or put words to right now. Um, uh, I can confirm to our audience that Benjamin Hall is safe right now. He's getting the best medical treatment in the entire world. Um, there are a lot of people to thank for that, and we will at the appropriate time do so. He is uh, alert. He's awake. He's spoken to his family. And I think despite some some you know, uh, uh, this is not easy, uh, but, but he is, there are a lot of really positive signs right now. Understood. Uh, thanks, Jennifer. I'll talk to you uh, soon, I hope. Thank you, Brian. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, I'll take your calls. Then we welcome in former FBI guy who is just over in Poland, Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania. Don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Ukraine is not a member of NATO. We understand that. We have heard for years that the doors were open, but we also heard that we could not join. It's a truth, and it must be recognized. Yeah, that was uh, the translation of uh, President Zelensky yesterday. Does that mean he's trying to give in a little bit when it comes to these talks? Both sides have to give in. Alex, listening online in Mountain View, California. Alex. David, listening in Orlando. Hey, David. Brian, how are you? Thank you for taking my call. It's an honor to speak with you. Same here. What's in your Um, mind? Hey, my concern is with this, the Russian military is, is supposed to be, a, you know, a, a superpower comparable with us in China. They've had major failures. Obviously, they are not a well-oiled machine. And if their army is such a disaster like this, losing generals in a war, they can't obviously win on the, you know, the fight they're fighting now. What kind of shape is their nuclear arsenal in? I know. Great question. You know, that takes vigilance. You know, they said they have over 4,000 weapons. Really? Are they as good as their tanks? Are they as good as their gas? I mean, they ran out of gas en route to Kiev. Ran out of gas. And then these people go, I don't really want to fight. I quit. And now I think conscription day is April 1st. That means a whole bunch of people get out after one year and a whole bunch get in. How many are getting in? And are they going to be allowed to leave if they wanted to? 
When we come back, Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick tells us what it's like on the line, what it was like listening to President Zelensky a couple hours ago, and what we what else we could do to help out the Ukrainians and more. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We are concerned at the prospect of China providing material support to Russia or uh, undermining the sanctions that we put in place with countries around the world. Something that we've uh, communicated directly to China, including just this in the past 24 hours when the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, uh, met with his Chinese counterpart, Yang Jiechi. So if the Chinese do uh, provide military uh, support uh, to the uh, Russians, what will the U.S. do? Again, without uh, going to the specifics of what we'll do, we've made very clear that that's not something that uh, we're going to take sitting down. Well, let's hope. I don't know what that means. Typical diplomatic talk, and Anthony Blinken always puts you to sleep. Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick, House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, Foreign Affairs and Transportation, Infrastructure Committees, which just oversees, seeing for himself how bad the refugee issue was and more. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, Brian. How are you? Good. Uh, first off, uh, the China is the big factor here. We hear this overture put out from Russia. We need your help. <clears throat> Has China decided whether to help or not? No, they haven't. You know, I'm on the Intel Committee, so we're, we're generally on top of this stuff. Um, you know, they're they're obviously not thrilled with the position that Russia's put them in, but you know, publicly they're they're rattling the saber and um, still publicly standing behind Russia. Um, you know, and I, as I said this morning on your show, Brian, you know, if, if China in any way aids or abets uh, Russia to evade sanctions, uh, that's the getaway driver uh, helping a bank robber rob the bank. They're both equally culpable. They both ought to be equally held accountable. Do you have a sense if, if our allies agree since we're so economically intertwined? Yeah, I mean, especially the case with China, and that's what's got a lot of American businesses very nervous right now and American investors because China has done – a remarkable job ingraining themselves in so many of our critical infrastructure, supply chains, pharmaceuticals, uh, education, um, academia, you name it. Uh, they're nestled everywhere, and it's going to be a very painful thing to extract uh, should that come to fruition. Yeah, interesting. I, I saw this story today in the Washington Post. The war's duration, destruction, and civilian casualties have stunned Beijing, as have the intensity of the near unanimity of the international European reaction Chinese diplomats worry about the foreign policy blowback for being so close to Russia during the war, and the Chinese leaders are concerned about its effect on the global economy and their country's 2022 growth prospects. They do not want to be caught in the sanction vortex, even though they got their they, they have the you know a big economic powerhouse there. They don't want any part of it. So I'm wondering if the measure, you know, the if it's going to be worth it for them to say, "Screw you, world! I'm doing it anyway." Yeah, I mean, when you look at the, the sinister forces out there, they all have slightly different goals. The Ayatollah seeks religious dominance. Russia seeks geopolitical dominance, reconstituting the USSR with China. It's economics. It's all economics with China. So obviously this is not welcomed uh, situations that they're, that they're seeing right now. So uh, what did you take uh, from President Zelensky? Here he is uh, talking today to a joint session of Congress. It lasted about 20 minutes. He also, in the middle of it, put together a video with some music underneath, just outlining the death and destruction that you wouldn't see unless you were a Ukrainian videographer or parliamentarian member. Watch. Every night for three weeks now, various Ukrainian cities, Odessa and Kharkiv, Chernihiv and Sumy, Zhitomir and Lviv, Mariupol and Dnipro, Russia has turned the Ukrainian sky 
into a source of death for thousands of people. He went on to that, but he kept saying, it's not just my problem, it's the West problem. If you're for freedom and democracy, this is your fight. We're taking on this evil empire, and we're, and we're doing okay, but we need more help. What did you take from it? Well, he does need more help, and he should be getting it. Uh, I'm glad he showed the video, Brian. Very few uh, colleagues of mine have ever been to Ukraine, um, and for him to show the imagery of this thriving you know, European metropolis in Kiev and, and Kharkiv and, and Odessa and Lviv, what they used to look like and what they look like now, I think definitely resonated with a lot of my colleagues. Several of them got very emotional. He once again got a standing ovation. Both parties, both chambers were there today. Um, he has a very simple ask. If you're not going to close the sky, and there's two types of, of no-fly zones, which a lot of people are conflating, but at the very least, given the TB2 drones, which Turkey has exportable in the Tory, the MiG-29s, Poland's got exportable in the Tory, and the S-300 surface air missiles, Croatia, Bulgaria, Romania, and Slovakia all have exportable in the Tory. They just need the, the NSC here in the U.S. to give them the green light. As of yet, they have not gotten it, and they should get it. Do you think what the president's going to supposed to speak as early as five minutes? He's always late. What do you think he's going to say? Because he doesn't want to do the nightfly zone. He doesn't want to do the MIGs. What do you think he'll say? Well, he didn't want to personally sanction Putin, and it took the EU and the UK to take the lead on that. And President Biden then followed. It took Canada to take the lead on banning Russian oil uh, imports. Uh, Biden then followed on that. Um, and now, just yesterday, uh, Estonia, the Estonian parliament, uh, called for a no-fly zone. So a lot of the things that he said he wouldn't do, he ended up, in fact, doing. Um, I don't know what he's going to say today, but I, I know that the uh, actions, the bipartisan actions here in Congress are putting a lot of pressure on him. Uh, the oil embargo is exhibit A of that. He basically killed bipartisan legislation coming out of the Ways and Means Committee. So, you know, to prevent him from looking bad, he ended up taking the same action administratively. Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick with us from uh, from Pennsylvania, but also from the FBI. Congressman, how disturbed are you and what's the buzz among even Democrats about what's happening with Iran? Are we about to give away the store, release all these sanctions and allow them to become back into the family of nations? Well, the uh, the cry back uh, when the JCPOA was uh, was signed was, you know, that that no deal is better than a bad deal. And I will tell you, Brian, that the, even more so than Ukraine, I mean, my Democrat colleagues are livid about this, particularly on the Foreign Affairs Committee. They feel like they've been kept out of the loop. Um, this is something that should be a treaty uh, that's not being treated as a treaty. It's not going to have to go through the advice and consent of two-thirds of the Senate. Uh, the, the, the administration is going to cut a deal. By the way, having Russia still sit at the table, which is unconscionable. So you think you could be coming down the pike and nobody knows what's going on and we're not even at the table, China and Russia helping cut this deal for us? I mean, you can't – you would not make this up. I know. It's outrageous. It really is. And I will tell you, I, the Democrats, I think a lot of them have, have been on the sideline on Ukraine because they don't want to show up the president. I think this issue might actually get a lot of them off the sideline uh, because it's very personal to a lot of them. Uh, but if this is not a treaty, Brian, as you know, it's not worth the paper it's written on. Uh, it's going to be changed by a future uh, president, as was the case with President Trump. Uh, the Iranians know that. Um, and moreover, why would you ever negotiate or contract with a party that's not operating in good faith? A couple of things I'd like to bring you to. Uh, number one, there's a story in today's Washington Post uh, that says basically 
any thought that Russia is a superpower is now done. Because if you see the way they fought, you see their invisible air force, uh, David Vandrell uh, writes, uh, it's highly revealing what they've seen and not seen. Where are the surgical strikes uh, to blind the enemy? It didn't happen. Where's the Air Force? Well, it turns out their Air Force, they barely have planes, and they only, uh, they only are allowed to, because of budgetary reasons, train 100 hours a year. Uh, their forces in the southeast uh, have shown the greatest capability, but the northeast, they've been terrible. And it looks like the conscription day is coming up April 1st. They have to serve for one year. I'm not convinced any of these guys want to serve, period, let alone going to stick around. And the new people got to go get trained. So whatever happened to this this big Russian bear, these tough fighters that that had the the world uh, uh, trembling? Well, our intelligence community is uh, gathering a ton of great intel on Russia that they obviously never had before. They're learning a lot about their weaknesses um, as far as chain of command, their logistical disaster, the Russian military, um, and many of these people are, are conscripts. And you know, huge uh, aspect of war is 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 will to fight. Uh, they do not have a will to fight. They don't even know why they're there. Uh, the message is starting to get out to many members of the military. You see them fleeing uh, their tanks and whatnot. Um, yes, I mean, our, our, when we spoke to um, Director Burns, he said they're gaining all sorts of intelligence about Russia. And you are absolutely right, Brian. Um, a lot of bark with very little bite with our military. So what do you expect to happen over the next 10 days? There are reports that the Russians are running out of everything, and if the Ukrainians could hold out 10 days, this thing could turn. But you're, you, you're someone to sift through the rhetoric and get to the intelligence. What do you think? Well, our, our big concern is a humanitarian crisis, mainly in Mariupol. People are drinking literally puddle water down there. They've had no food, no electricity, no water for going on 10 How do we change now. that? Uh, well, I, I'm a big believer in a, in, a, in a U.N. humanitarian no-fly zone. I think a lot of people, Brian, are conflating a NATO military no-fly zone with a U.N. humanitarian no-fly zone that is specific corridors. It's not the entire country. Specific humanitarian lanes that are nowhere near any military installations to give these people safe passage. And moreover, Brian, not many people are, are talking about this. Uh, there are non-kinetic ways to enforce a no-fly zone. Uh, every single military jet has thousands of semiconductors that can be jammed through electromagnetic pulse, uh, through cyber and a combination of sonar and radar, much like the concern with the Patriot missile batteries. They don't want to front that technology and have it fall into the wrong hands. But the capability exists, and I think people need to start talking about that because to see thousands of people whose lives are being destroyed and getting killed, I don't know how much more people are going to be able to tolerate that. Well, I mean, I don't think Donald – I bet you Joe Biden doesn't even know that. So, I mean, is someone going to tell him? <laughs> he's, he's obsessed with this term provocation and, and escalation. And, Brian, if you, if you go back to, you know, Neville Chamberlain, uh, September 1st of 1939, when Germany invaded Poland, and Neville Chamberlain, whose name is now synonymous with the manifestation of the policy of appeasement, was using the same type of terminology. He didn't want to provoke. He didn't want to escalate. Uh, when you don't nip the problem in the bud, it becomes much more costly, both in terms of lives and economics. And the, the, the similarities are, are, are startling, um, and we're seeing things now that we thought were permanently relegated to the history books. It's happening right before our eyes. And if we mean the term never again, we've got to back it up with action. I would, uh, I would assume so. Here's William Taylor, the former U.S. ambassador to the Ukraine, on the possibility of doing something besides just giving them javelins and stingers. Cut 10.
I do think there's going to be air power support coming, and it may not be in the form uh, of a no-fly zone that have been that has been much discussed, uh, for all the reasons that we know. Um, but it may well be in terms of ground-to-air missiles, ground-to-air defense. What President Zelensky has asked for over and over is some way to counter the cruise missiles, to counter the aircraft, the Russian aircraft that are bombing uh, the Ukrainian infrastructure, the Ukrainian people, the Ukrainian civilian uh, apartments. Uh, that's what he has been asking for. And there are ways uh, to provide that kind of support um, on mobile air defense, ground-to-air missiles that can take out aircraft and that can take out cruise missiles. And, Brian, you were just there. Can he get them in? Obviously, that would be a huge benefit, especially if they're mobile. Do you think we yeah. can get them in, and do you think they might be there already? Uh, yes and yes. Um, so, for example, there were some Turkish drones that did make their way in, but they need more. Uh, I think what, what the ambassador was referring to there is the S-300 there's also an S-400, which is even bigger and better, but only Turkey has that. Um, but the S-300s would get the job done. Zelensky, rightfully so, is asking for some mechanism to pr- protect the sky. He can win a ground fight. He knows that. The morale of his troops are off the charts. They're on home turf. They can, they can beat the Russians on the ground. They just can't deal with a constant bombardment uh, from the air. And the S-300s are, are a huge way to, to deal with that, including uh, the TBT drones. Very, very important. Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick, thanks so much. Appreciate it. You got it, sir. All right, go get him. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'll come back. I'll take your calls. Find out if there's even more to know. Not really sure if there's even more to know. Not important. But I know this. uh, We have a lot to get to. We have not really discussed the biggest moment in, in modern Chinese history to decide to double down on their alliance with Russia or pull back and save their their relationship with the West. Don't move. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. If we were not in total government paralysis, I feel like this country, if it was a normal country or the way it used to be, semi-normal, we could make a grand bargain where the left gave up some things, you know, they would, I mean, nuclear. I'm not for nuclear. I know it's not a perfect solution, way less, but it's like there are no perfect solutions. Give a little on that one or maybe even fracking. As long as we're going to use the energy, use it here. Come make it use the stuff that we get we, because we're a big energy producer now. We won't do that. And the right, they could give up a little on green energy and at least trying to build up that sector more. But we're not going to do that. Wow. Well, that makes total sense. And by the way, the right is all for nuclear energy. Uh, they are all for uh, fracking because it burns clean. So that should be listed under clean energy. They say to get it out might create some pollution. If you talk about electric, people are schooling me on this. They say when we people say about electric cars or anything electric, any battery just stores energy. How do you create the energy to go into that battery storage? You have to use, for, for the most part currently, 65% of that energy is created from, drum roll please, fossil fuels. And then you have the other challenge of getting rid of old batteries and all this rare earth stuff. Where are you doing it? They say California is the only place that has a landfill just for 
uh, excuse me, just has a recycle area for them. For the most part, we have no idea what to do with old batteries. So that matters. So in the meantime, what Bill Maher is saying, what I was saying earlier, if you want to put money into R&D, you put five major projects, private industry, combining with government to get something done, and they say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try to accelerate renewables, fine. Find out how we can get some of the rare earths we're not depending on China, fine. At the same time, use fossil fuels done responsibly, produced responsibly, to fuel the world as it is right now, not how we want it to be. That's what drives people crazy. They're living idealistically. We're living realistically. Robert, WABC. Hey, Robert. Hi, good morning. Why would anyone expect Joe Biden, who I call Joe Obama, to come to the aid of Ukraine when he has taken an integral part in the destruction of his own country in every conceivable way. He wouldn't say that, though. He wouldn't say that he's taking apart our country. He thinks he's making it better, Robert. Of course. Build back better means destroy first. (laughs) Destroy something to build it back. Like a developer in real estate, which is my business, the first thing to do is they either destroy nature or they destroy an existing property. They don't develop anything like you would say in your head that they're developing something. They're destroying something first. Build back better is destroy first. Destroy what? Destroy the United States of America. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Hey, this is Joe this is Obama two point Obama said he was leading the decline of the United States of America, managing it. And Biden is doing the same thing. Gotcha, Robert. Thank you. Nancy Pelosi on how to help us with spending. Here's the here's the logic. Cut 17. When we're having this discussion, it's important to dispel some of those who say, well, it's the government spending. No, it isn't. The government spending is doing the exact reverse, reducing the national debt. It is not inflationary. Exactly. So if you're about to max out your card, the worst thing to do would be to stop spending. You got to spend. Please jot that down. I can't keep going over this every day. Keep spending, whether you have the money or not. Great advice. Don't forget, One Nation, 8 o'clock, repeated at 11, Saturday night on Fox News Channel. Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.